This is episode number 72. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back to the show. Before we get into today's topic, I just want to let you know that I have sent out an email to my newsletter list inviting them to submit questions about the coronavirus. I'm bringing back onto the show Dr. Georgine Nanos, who was actually a guest. She was one of the top 10 guests I had on the show. Uh, I think it was episode number seven, and I will link it in the show notes. But we talked about the future of medicine on that episode. And Dr. Nanos has been releasing some YouTube videos on the coronavirus. She has her master's in public health. So she has advanced training in epidemiology, which is the study of infectious diseases. So I reached out to her and asked her if she would come on and talk to us about what she knows, what advice she would give. And I've asked my communities to submit any questions they have. So if you are on my newsletter list, look for that email that went out today on Wednesday, March 11th. So you can check your inbox for that if you didn't see it and want to submit some questions. Depending on how many questions we get, I'll either cluster them based on theme or if there's not too many, I will ask your questions on your behalf. It is obviously not intended to replace the relationship you have with your own trusted medical provider. But like I said, since Dr. Nanos has advanced training in public health and infectious diseases, I thought her perspective would be really helpful right now. I know there's a lot of people feeling incredibly anxious. So I wanted to let you know that, and I'll be interviewing Dr. Nanos on March 18th. So if you could just get your questions in before then, I'll be able to ask them if there is time. And that episode will probably come out the following Wednesday, which I believe is March 25th. So anyway, just wanted to give you that update before we get into today's episode. So joining us today is Camila, who is the CEO of Attention Insight. And she has developed a really cool technology that basically lets you see design through the eyes of the user. So according to a talk that Camila gave, our attention span is one second shorter than that of a goldfish. (laughs) And we are taking hours and hours and hours of ads and information every day, but our intention span is a lot shorter. So she wanted to create a solution for this. And so her company basically automates eye tracking using artificial intelligence. And within minutes of looking at web pages, her technology allows her customers to know where their users are interacting with the pages of their website. So you could look at the screen and then within minutes, it produces a result using heat maps that show what objects were seen or missed in your design so that ultimately you can improve your return on investment on your marketing dollars. So in addition to talking about Camilla's entrepreneurial journey, we also talk about 
artificial intelligence, just generally speaking, the pros and the potential dangers of it. She gave some interesting information that I think you'll find eye-opening. I know I did. And um, in addition, she gives some advice to female entrepreneurs, especially those who are struggling in the early stages of their companies. So lots of great tips today, and I look forward to getting into the show. So here we go. Hi, Camilla. Thank you for being on the show today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Uh, So you have an interesting company because you have figured out how to use uh, artificial intelligence to help predict where users are looking when engaging with your design. So somebody's website or other, actually, you'll have to tell us if it's exclusively what the application is, but can you take us into how you got started with this line of work? Because artificial intelligence for those of us who are not in this field at all uh, is very, it's a very new concept and just wondering how you started a whole company around using um, this type of technology. Yeah. So it's actually a very interesting story. Uh, I'm a marketer myself uh, by trade. I worked in communication agencies for years And by training, I am economist. So I was always looking for ways how to bring data and how to bring certain level of key performance indicators to design decision-making process. Because as a marketers, uh, we always rely on performance. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to design decision-making, we don't have uh, these tools available. And I was working back then in digital communication agency, and we had a big project of one of the biggest telecom uh, here in Nordics. And we did a lot of redesigns uh, for the clients. We were not able to run user research tests because of lack of timing. Uh, So majority of times we tend to have a lot of uh, biased discussions with clients, so personal preferences of certain shareholders. So I was kind of, after that project, I looked into user behavior field more and I realized that there should be a metrics in design decision-making process that would make life easier both for marketer and for designer. Mm -hmm. And that's how... I ended up working in consumer behavior field with eye tracking technology. And uh, it mesmerized me a lot how eye tracking can enable brand managers to kind of see the design through the eyes of users, if Mm -hmm. you know what I mean. So basically enabling you to put yourself in the shoes of your customer, uh, which is amazing. Uh, And that helped me uh, tremendously a lot myself as a marketeer and as well as for other clients and colleagues that I was working uh, with. Uh, However, uh, there was a big drawback with eye tracking research. In the marketing field, we know that uh, every single communication campaign uh, needed to be launched yesterday. Mm. So we don't have time to wait for a research result to arrive. So back then I was working with my colleague, Yava. Uh, She's a biophysicist by training, and she worked with eye-tracking research uh, for years, and she was uh, entering uh, artificial intelligence field back then in the U.S. Uh, She worked there for several years, uh, building several AI-based 
companies as a tech lead. And then uh, we, we were friends for quite a few years uh, before. And then one night over dinner, uh, we talked about eye tracking and how it is changing marketing industry. And I realized that we have same passions. Mm. And I said to Yava by joke, uh, Yava, how about if we would find a way to automate eye tracking research or at least part of it? So spin, spinning off three years later, we did exactly that. So I think it was a fusion of uh, me as a marketeer looking for uh, data-driven ways uh, how to make design decisions and her as a biophysicist searching for a way to apply this technology more broadly to the different industries. So this is kind of how Attention Insight came to be. Yeah, so explain for all of us what artificial intelligence is in a simplified way, if you don't mind, and then how it's you, how you're using it for the work that you do. Mm -hmm. Okay, of course. So we are using specific uh, branch of artificial intelligence, which is called deep neural networks. So in human language, uh, this uh, type of network uh, works in a similar way that our brain does. So it has certain neurons that communicate together. Uh, and in, on top of uh, the data pool that the algorithm is trained on, is able to make certain decisions. So two distinguishing facts of uh, AI solutions are, A, it is able to learn by itself, and B, it is able to make certain decisions. How, how so, is it able to learn by itself? <laughs> Can you explain this? Of course. Yeah. So I will yeah. I will maybe briefly talk about our case because it's yeah. less generic. Okay. So what we basically did first, we built a model for uh, human vision simulation. So imagine it's like a baby, a one-year-old. And then we trained the model with a big pool of previously implemented eye-tracking research data. Mm. So at first, we showed to the algorithm basic things about human vision. So how we see colors, shapes, faces, uh, everyday things around us. Uh, and then the algorithm got smarter. Uh, on the second level, we trained it on website browsing data. So how users interact with websites and what they see in them. So this is how the training process went along. And at the moment, uh, we have a predictive model which predicts human attention with the accuracy of 90%. Uh, so basically what that means is that if you would take a heat map, which is a visual representation of how attention distributes in design uh, from an eye-tracking study, and if you would take a heat map that was predicted by attention inside, uh, these two heat maps would match 90%. So this is how we built uh, our platform. So basically, firstly, showing to the algorithm how human vision operates, the basic things, and then training it on top with uh, data of how users behave online. How long does it take to train the... What do you even call the, the, it? Is it a computer? Is it an interface? Whatever it is that you're feeding, how long does it yeah. take to get it to the point where then you can use it for your business and know that it's 90% accurate? 
Mm-hmm. So um, we called it a model. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually refer it uh, in a simple words, kind of like a, a grammar for uh, design. So you, if you have a spell check uh, in your computer, uh, then you can have attention inside with a spell check for design. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it took us quite a while. Uh, in the background, we ran a company for two and a half years before kicking it off the ground. But basically, I was working uh, within my company and uh, within marketing department, and my colleague was working in other companies. And then we built the minimum viable product um, of our system. And then we realized that we need to go full-time. And at the beginning of uh, last year, we incorporated a company and we started working in German market. So in the, our company is almost one year old, uh, but the pro- project itself is running for three and a half years now. Okay, so it took about three and a half years then to feed the model in order to know that once you're putting it in front of a client, that it has 90% accuracy. Yes, and uh, to be honest, uh, the deep learning field itself needed to be grown to a certain extent um, so that we could uh, use uh, the available tools and methods to build uh, this predictive model. Okay, and so how many different pieces of data did you feed it? Like, what were the ages of the people that you were mm-hmm. using for the study? Because I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, how much that impacts it or demographics, you know, female versus male, any of that stuff. Like, how do you even determine what to train, like, to, to feed it mm-hmm. with? So, uh, yeah, of course, it's, it's a great question. Uh, we fed it with a data pool of uh, 30,000 eye-tracking studies, which involved uh, almost 50-50 uh, males and females uh, in it, uh, the age gap was very broad, so from 16-year-old to 60. Mm. Uh, so we covered the whole demographic segments, and as well as if talking about geography, uh, our data pools are mostly in uh, North America and Europe. Okay, and so tell us what your company does then. So how do you now use all of this great uh, technology to help your customers? Mm -hmm. Of course. So, um, from the client's perspective, we, uh, we're working with brand managers and digital communication agencies. Uh, we provide them with an access to the easy to use online platform where they have their own, uh, environments, uh, within that environment, they can, uh, test as many creative concepts as they want. So they basically click a button, upload a few different website design versions. Mm, They grab themselves a cup of coffee, and after a few minutes, they can already analyze results. And then when they are analyzing the results, they are able to make uh, data-driven design decisions. So mostly companies use us for data collection-free A-B testing. So you can implement A-B tests in a matter of minutes, not days or weeks or months. 
Um, also for optimization of uh, the visibility of most important elements, such as product images, call to action buttons, and main messages. Mm. Uh, and also, of course, uh, for uh, if we're talking about uh, agency world, uh, for design presentation to your team members or to your clients. Because uh, design professionals, they see and evaluate design very differently, mm. and they need to have a way of presenting their uh, decisions uh, that they make, the creative decisions, to their clients. So we work as a mediator uh, between the client and the designer, and this helps to speed up the process and make the life better for both designer and a client. Okay, so take us through maybe a case sample um, or a case study without obviously naming the client, but so... I can think in terms of the application that a lot of people who have uh, product or services, you go to the website where you talked about the call to action, uh, Mm -hmm. whether that's converting or not. So, you know, when you say they can go get a cup of coffee and the results happen, what are they seeing? Are they literally seeing like certain parts of the screen heated up, if you will, like there's a lot of color and traction there where other parts there's not or explain it in more detail. Yeah, of course. So let let me take you through uh, a case. Imagine you are a brand manager of a small company and you do majority of your sales uh, online Mm -hmm. and you're selling uh, perfume. In order for you to sell it to your clients, you need them to notice certain things when they land in your website. So, uh, of course, your product itself, uh, uh, be how the product is different from all other perfumes that are available in the market. And the third and most important one, how can I do that? Should I uh, leave my email and you will contact me or can I buy it online? Is it an e-com store? So uh, what we're testing, we're testing the visibility of all uh, three elements. Uh, so as you correctly said, when a client does a test with attention inside, uh, after a few minutes, he uh, or she receives heat maps, which is basically a visual representation of how users' attention distributed in the design, where red spots indicates uh, objects and places where people look the most. Uh, and it gradually goes from red all the way to blue, the very um, um, uh, cold colors, uh, which is the least uh, visible objects. And with this information, uh, the client itself can uh, see uh, which design works better, where a call to action is more noticeable, where product image is more seen, and where the main message is more seen. And for that to happen, of course, we have a second layer of analytics, which is uh, areas of interest or objects of interest. So we basically see what percentage of attention each object in your design got. So for example, you see that in version A, call to action button got 5% of attention. And in version B, you see that call to action button got 10% of attention. So you now can see that the version B works better because uh, it grabs more attention to the objects that you want to highlight. So uh, when you work with our platform, you can iterate a lot. So you basically can upload 
two or three different uh, design versions, then you can change something in the design, like change a position of a button or a position of a product image, maybe change a product image itself, and then do the test again and see if the results improve. And uh, with that, you can optimize your website and you can make sure that users are seeing what you would want them to see. So it's so cool. It's very interesting. I think it's really very cool. But I'm also wondering now when we talked about uh, the data that you fed in the demographics. So if you talk about perfume, for example, can you take within all of that data that you fed to the model? Can you then say, give me women, you know, 20 to 40 years old or something so that the results are actually based on that? Is it that specific? Um, so at the moment, we have a general prediction of uh, overall uh, user group and the data pool that we have. However, in the future, we're planning to build filters for both age, um, age and gender. Uh, we decided to postpone this functionality because we analyzed the data pools and we saw that there are, of course, certain differences in um, attention distribution of, for example, male and female but they are not that significant in the sense because uh, uh, we evaluate like first seconds of users' interaction. So what initially draws a person's eye, so uh, colors mm -hmm. or certain faces. So it's, it is quite universal uh, in among different segments. So that's why uh, the functionality of having uh, an opportunity to pick the demographics will come on later. To the platform. That makes sense. And how young is this AI field, artificial intelligence, in terms of what you're doing? Like, is this, do you have a lot of competitors or are you kind of, you're in your own blue ocean strategy here where nobody's really doing this? Um, yeah. So, of course, uh, we have certain level of competition, both direct and indirect. Uh, because uh, a lot of people tend to compare us with a mouse tracking based solution such as Hodjar or Crazy Ed, which is basically tracking user, users' mouse movement in the web. Mm, however, in comparison to them, we're superior because A, we don't need to have any data collection in the first place. Um, so we are uh, GDPR and uh, private uh, data policy uh, uh, acts from California complied as well. Uh, and B, uh, we base our uh, technology on eye movements rather than on mouse movements. Mm. Yeah. So, but it's the market itself is heating up. We see that uh, a lot of big players are exploring uh, predictive analysis and predictive design analysis, uh, and we perceive it as a good thing. Uh, we don't want to be kind of uh, solo uh, swimming in the ocean. We want to swim with others and be uh, the best at what we do. I love that. Um, so, and part of the reason I was even asking that is, like I said, for many of us, artificial intelligence is something that we hear about here and there, but we don't even know how it may be impacting our day-to-day. -day. So this may be a silly question, but for example, something like Siri on our phones or Alexa in our homes, is that based on AI? Yes, it is. Yeah. You are 100% right. AI is all around us. 
sometimes we don't think about it, but uh, as you mentioned, all voice assistants, as well as all the content recommendations that we see in social media that we love, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, they are all uh, uh, kind of a design and built upon AI recommendation. Mm. The same thing goes for Google, for example, Google search engine. Netflix is a great example of how AI is applied into content recommendation and even tailor making content for each uh, individual user. So I think we uh, have a lot of AI around us, but we don't maybe stop to see how it, it's working and I think it's a good thing I think AI should be a part of um, our daily lives with without us even thinking about it it's like the same way of how um, phones or computers are inseparable things in our everyday life and work so I think AI is all around us now and I think the trend will continue to grow and it's the the most the biggest growing field from technology point of view sometimes people even refer to it as a, a fourth fourth revolution yeah no i appreciate that and it's actually i think helpful for people to realize how much it is a part of our daily lives and we don't know um do you see any ethical issues obviously not with what you're doing um with your company because it's benefiting uh a con- you know your clients Um, But I think, you know, generally speaking with AI, that there's concern that, you know, it will take over (laughs) too too much. (laughs) Any thoughts on that? I'm just curious from somebody who's in this space working with this technology. Yeah. Um, I think I talk about it a lot, uh, how artificial intelligence will change uh, our daily lives and work life and how it will change the field of communication and creativity. And my biggest takeaway is that AI will become our new co-workers uh, and our new assistants. Uh, but I, I'm encouraging professionals in their own fields to embrace AI and embrace the change because AI is taking over the m- mundane tasks that we don't necessarily like, that machines are way better at, but we as humans, we will stick to the things that we makes us unique, such as creativity, uh, strategic thinking. So I think it will enable us to free our potential as, uh, as workers, as experts in our own fields. Mm. And uh, if going to the ethical uh, uh, discussion, of course, we need to make sure that the data that we train our artificial intelligence uh, machines and platforms on has to be unbiased because if the data is biased then the ai will be biased as well and of course yeah uh, there's a a case of um one of the brands i now cannot recall the name but i will just shortly explain the story they build a chatbot which uh, were communicating with uh, brands twitter followers and kind of answering their questions and adapting uh, to questions and quotes from users uh, however the sad thing is that they were a lot of trolls and <laughs> negative people online mm-hmm. which um basically train AI to be uh, racists and sexist. Oh, my goodness. Um, 
Yeah. So, and, and this was not AI itself. It was just a matter of people using it. So I think we need to be very cautious of a having the right data pools to train our um, AI solutions on and B having the right ethical standards overall, both in the industry and uh, maybe in a future and not even in the industry level, but in the governmental level as well. Uh, we need to have certain certification programs where uh, we can make sure that the machines and the co-workers that we build that we can trust. And I think Finland is a great example of how government is encouraging uh, AI application. Uh, basically what they did, they um, made a priority, uh, um, countrywide priority, that each um, each person in a country has to be able to get access to AI training for free. And it's not a technical training. It's basically training how you can apply simple AI solutions for your day-to-day -day work. So let's say if you're a librarian or if you're a photographer, then you can take few uh, free courses with talks at top experts in the field, uh, analyze different solutions that fits your industry and apply AI uh, to your everyday work without even considering uh, getting a PhD in data science. I think that's kind of the great example of how um, government by itself can uh, kind of um, direct an industries to a good direction. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Obviously, it's such a big conversation that, you know, this gives a little bit of an overview of the ethical implications as well as just how it's being used already. And it's obviously in its infancy to some degree anyway. So it's going to continue to evolve. And we have to hope that the people who are feeding their models, like you said, are doing it appropriately. But um, so as an entrepreneur, what challenges have you faced? Because you you said you launched your company a year ago. What challenges have you faced that you've been over, able to overcome? Um, I do believe that all challenges in the entrepreneurship is mostly opportunities. Uh, and I did had a lot of them throughout this year. Uh, I had an opportunities to both explore uh, different uh, markets with, and different customer segments uh, with our uh, technology and with our platform. I had an opportunity to connect with amazing co-founders all around the world. I'm now actually in Y Combinator Startup School um, as well. Uh, so I'm kind of excited to be a part of the ecosystem. Uh, of course, maybe the biggest challenge is as a young company to be able to kind of sustain the growth levels uh, and sustain the growth of both the team, the technology. So you're kind of at the very beginning as an entrepreneur, you're a jack of all trades. So you need to make sure that you manage your, your time uh, correctly, that you manage your resources and that you make sure that you give enough attention to your teammates and your clients and your technology and that your friends still remember how your face looks like. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think for me, the, the biggest kind of the growth and the challenge was to kind of keeping up the balance uh, between everything that needs to be done um, 
throughout the day or a week. And uh, I am very grateful for all the opportunities I got last year, uh, all the way from uh, speaking in South by Southwest and um, winning a second uh, place in media uh, startup awards to uh, just having a time for recaptionation uh, during Christmas with my family. So I think uh, kind of the entrepreneurship journey itself uh, is a great growth path for all individuals. Uh, um, and I'm very happy to, to be a part of the community and to be a part of the movement. And uh, I'm kind of now going deep into the philosophy field. So I will end up with this saying that uh, I truly believe that AI will shape and change communication industries, and I'm happy to be a part of that change. What advice would you give to a woman listening who wants to be an entrepreneur or who is in the early stages and really uh, isn't feeling like it's an opportunity, it feels more like a struggle? What's the mindset shift or some piece of wisdom you could share that might help her if she's in a tougher spot or struggling a bit more versus feeling excited? Mm -hmm. um, I would say to her, and I would say the same for myself, if I can spin back time uh, five years ago when I first kind of had thoughts of uh, going into entrepreneurship, is that uh, all companies are not growing in one night and you need to be brave and patient when you start your journey. I would advise and recommend to uh, find a local uh, community of co-founders and local community of female co-founders, uh, which I'm very happy that exists in uh, quite a lot of uh, states and quite a lot of countries. So connecting with peers is very, very important in entrepreneurship and having a good vision and a great team around you. And uh, the only thing that I can say is that uh, if you start, uh, there is no uh, wrong things that you can do. There's only lessons that makes you grow. And uh, we all have security networks and we all can go back to our day jobs if things go south. But if you tr don't try, then, of course, you cannot win. And um, today I was uh, in, in my gym actually before this uh, podcast, and there is a big poster on the wall saying that winners are not people who never fail, but people who never quit. It's mm. great. Um, Camila, how do you define success? That's... That's a very deep question. Um, I think I define success in several uh, criteria, but first things first is uh, being able to have a freedom uh, to do what you love and to be able to have time for yourself while you do that. And uh, the second would be working and making things that makes a difference in your industry or in a field that you are passionate about. I think that's kind of two things. If you can uh, do that, then I would say you're successful. And it doesn't even matter if you run your own small uh, local business uh, and you do it. If you do it great, then it's 
as equally good as you running a multi-million dollar uh, company or running a unicorn startup. So I would say if you are comfortable in the field that you are in and if you're making a difference within the community or within the industry and you're happy uh, in that position, then then you're successful. That's great. Uh, do you have a morning or evening routine that fosters your success? I do have a more um, evening routine and morning routine. Okay. My morning routine is uh, very... Uh, Basic, I'm not sure if that connects to success, but I love great coffee and I ha love to have time for myself in the morning to reflect on things that I'm planning to do uh, throughout the day. So I always wake up earlier, I make myself a cup of coffee, I sit down, I look through my window and I think about my priorities, goals and OKRs. And Wait, for, and your what? What did you call them? OKRs? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm using a business slang. It's objectives and key results, okay. which is a technique um, established quite a while ago, but uh, kind of um, made mainstream by Google, which is basically setting your objectives and key results for a certain period of time. So let's say half a year. Usually it's a quarterly or half a year goals and then working towards small sprints uh, to reach these uh, key results and objectives. And are you so, looking at those on a calendar or just writing them out every day? Uh, so I basically have a planning session with my team. So we have, have team level uh, objectives and key results. And then I have my own personal objectives and key results. And in accordance to these key results, I'm planning my weekly activities. And uh, then I know what uh, things to focus on throughout the week. Because as you know, in, in, like in entrepreneurship, you uh, open your inbox and the inbox is on fire and your mm -hmm. phone is on fire, but you still need to keep your priorities straight. So this technique helps me uh, get my priorities straight. And I use Pomodoro technique to manage my time when I work. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's the timer, yes. right? Where you, you do the big or the, the hardest thing first. Can you explain what that is, the Pomodoro mm -hmm. technique? Of course, of yeah. course. Um, so Pomodoro technique is basically working in sprints uh, in a time span of 25 minutes. So you have 25 minutes deep work session where you are ignoring all the notifications and just doing one thing. And then you have a short five-minute break to recap, and then you repeat the session. And then you do four of these sessions, and then you get a longer break, which is 15 minutes. And then after two or three uh, of these circles, you get a half an hour uh, long break. Yeah, and then it's dinner. No, <laughs> and that's for dinner. Yes, yeah. it's lunch, and then it's that's after. It sounds like quite a few. It's it's dinner, and uh, for evenings, I uh, avoid my computer and phone and all electronic devices for at least an hour before I go to bed. I read uh, my book depending on my mood. Uh, whichever one I have, I have three or four of them, which I read now. Uh, and I listen to mediation music uh, before going to bed. And I try to sleep calmly and keep my mind off work uh, when I uh, relax. 
It's really a very healthy approach. Uh, can you leave the women listening with your three best tips on living a good life? A, take care of yourself first, always, which translates to take care of your body and health uh, and take care of yourself mentally. Uh, B, uh, be brave and bold. Uh, women are kick-ass entrepreneurs. They're great at what they do and I would be happy to see way more. So if you have a back itch uh, which kind of says to you that maybe this is one thing that I want to do but I'm not sure yet, do that and you will be amazing. And the third thing is find time for yourself, rewind and relax and try to close doors uh, when you leave the office and try to have time just being yourself, not being entrepreneur. Great advice. Loved all of those. Um, where can I direct people to learn more about you and your company? Um, so people who would like to see their websites through the eyes of their users and would like to optimize them can go to www.attentioninside.com where they can create their own account free of charge and uh, use uh, five free credits for their website tests. That's so cool. That's so cool. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your story and helping to inform us more about the you know, this field of AI, that's just a part of our lives. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Michelle. And uh, for the end note, I uh, am a fan of what you do. I do believe that women all over the world needs to be inspired to uh, go into the entrepreneurial field. And I do believe that your podcast is making a difference. So I'm very happy to be a part of it. So kind. Thank you so much. This is really such a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I think what Camilla is doing with her company is really innovative. And I love seeing female entrepreneurs solving problems in very unique ways. It really exemplifies what's possible when you have a concept and see a need in the marketplace and have the grit to go after it and create a solution. So anyway, I hope that you really enjoyed that conversation. And I wanted to let you know that I have a questionnaire up on my website that my hope will guide you to more clarity if you are struggling with what your purpose is. The questionnaire is actually called Discover Your Purpose. You can head over to thegoodlifecoach.com and scroll down to the very bottom of the page and you'll see a sign up for it where it will come just directly into your inbox. It's some questions to reflect on to gain clarity about where you want to go in life and what's important to you and some themes that have been with you since you were a child. So I'll be doing a solo episode based on that questionnaire, but if you want to get your copy, it will be up for the next couple of weeks. In April, I'll have a new freebie to share with you. So just wanted to let you know that if you have been thinking, oh, I'd love to see what what's there, feel free to head over to thegoodlifecoach.com and get your copy. Thanks as always for your time. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.